show going on today. Yeah. Miss Jade Simmons, who's running for president. Yeah. Independent candidate. She's going to be calling in and stuff like that. So yeah. we're going to be chopping it up. Making Definitely. it do what they say, making it do what it do. Right. That's what's going on. What's been going on with you? Oh, just trying to stay sane in this world, this COVID-19 <laughs> world. I stood out in the elements Thursday to vote. That was long. Oh, and wow. Sitting out Cold. there watching you out there people. in the morning? Yeah. Afternoon. We got After- out like around 11 o'clock, a little bit, maybe like between 11.30 and 12 o'clock. Well, you were warmer than me. It was ridiculous. I was freezing. It was, I got out there about uh, right at 8 o'clock. Oh, wow. In the morning. It was so oh, cold. Wow. And wet. And wet and raining. And, yeah. Oh, my God. That was, I, and it was, it was, I was just like. There was no social distancing. Of course, everybody had their mask on, but I was just watching people. I saw this older gentleman, and he he was in so much pain from standing in line. I could I knew he was in pain because this older gentleman really bowed legs, so that's like arthritic type of pain. His knees are probably killing him, and it, I could just see it in was his face. Was he walking on a walker? He wasn't like on that? a walker or anything. He didn't even have a seat to sit in, and we had lapped around, and he was on that last lap going up toward mm-hmm. the um, the um, voting poll area, but he still had a long way to wait. I was just like... Was he alone by himself? Yeah, it looked like he was by himself, too. So I was just like, oh my goodness, and I could see it in his face. So... You know, some people he wasn't he wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, you know, he wasn't prepared. I seen for that. some some uh, elders who weren't prepared out there mm-hmm. as well. They, yeah, I seen some on walkers. They don't, and they had a, a, a handicap part where you could come in. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't take advantage of that. They just stood in the lines and on walkers and canes. And well, that, that means they didn't let they didn't people know. know. No, yeah. that, that that was the the election board. Yeah, they should have been walking down. Ma'am, you could come down. Oh, sure God. You could come. Yeah. I had an experience with one of them. I was just like, are you serious? What was your experience? You know, he was like, well, you know how you get to that point and you started coming back toward, you go down and you had to come yeah, back. Yeah, right, right. Well, right. we were at that point where you come, start, you turn around and you start coming back in the opposite direction. Uh-huh. So he was like, well, you can go over to the other side 
and line up over there. And I was like, well, what does the line look like over there? Well, you just have to go over there and find out yourself. I'm like, what kind of answer is that? I wanted mm-hmm. to, I was just like, my son was like, mama, you just being extra right now, uh. being petty. But I was just like, for real. But the people that they had there were not giving information. They weren't well, for right, with, with information. They so. probably didn't have enough volunteers to, probably do, not, to, to, but the to one, cover because it was a ton of people. I'm talking about it was people all the way wrapped but did around. Did they ask for volunteers? Number I'm one, I'm pretty sure they did. You know, I'm pretty sure they did ask for volunteers. And oh. most and most volunteers on the election board are elderly people and older people, not a whole lot of younger people oh. out there ripping and running. And who wants to be out in that rain and that cold? But you, you know, know, but I understand what you're saying. But you know, it's like, oh man, you know, trying to accommodate everybody, everybody. for it. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah, but so thank I God would, we got a chance to vote. You yeah, know, and that, yeah. uh, that's what I was. I stood in line. You know, I was thinking about while I was in that line how our elders and ancestors sacrificed mm-hmm. their lives so we could have that privilege. Well, not only that, the fact that they found bones in that space and you have uh-huh. the Ruler's Stadium there. Yeah, Those you know, and I, I was telling some, I was telling some, like some whites, who, I was telling some whites who were right in front of me. Mm-hmm. I said, you know. I often wonder how many bones and bodies are buried right up under this, up under this drill estate. They say, well, we never thought about that. I say, yeah, this is where the massacre took place. Well, they found bones while they were building building that. Yeah, Yeah. they found both. You can't find the news story anymore, but yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. So, so what did they do with the bones? Of ain't no now? telling. Ain't mm-hmm. no telling. Probably in somebody's closet or someone's, you know, ain't yeah. no telling with these people. I'm just for sure. So well done. I'm yeah. just tired. Well, you know, systematic control and they do what they want to do and they don't report on what they need to report on. And, you know, just recently uh, we had a discovery out there at Oakland about those graves, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there are bodies there. Yeah. You know, and my question is, Okay, we've discovered our ancestors' bodies from that massacre in those graves. What's next? The idea is to try to make an attempt to identify, excavate, and and give them a proper burial and all the. I've heard that. that. Yeah, I've heard that point. You know, and some DNA stuff taken. But it would be hard to do DNA because you have no idea of whom. So you'd have to start a a bank. Yeah, true. A bank. A DNA bank. Mm hmm. And, and you have to submit your DNA right. and see if we can match up. Encourage people to. Yeah. Uh, this might be your second or third mm-hmm. cousin or mm-hmm. something like that. But You know, and I often think that a lot of those bodies were dumped in the river, oh, you yeah. know, and to hide, you know, dumped in the river, hidden up under Driller Stadium, Oakland Cemetery, all up and down there. All, all up and down, place. all over the place. Yeah. But you remember all this? Remember when we first started and some of the stories you would hear from those um, oral reports that we got? That pe- I mean, oral history that people were giving that they held, you know, my, my grandmother said, my, my dad said, mm-hmm. and it's been passed down from generation to generation. And even people that were like, my dad used to work for, for the cemetery on 11th and Peoria. And he said, so listening to all of those stories after years and years and mm-hmm. years, and then you have people telling the same Story, they don't know each other from a can of paint. Yeah, they really so, they really don't. So know? it's it's like you've heard the same story that someone else had 
has heard. So it has to have some type of validity. You know, it's not like the Candyman and the projects at Cabrini Green, something crazy like that. But it's just like the same story over and over, over and over again. So it has to have some truth to it. So yeah. you have to follow up on that. So. Well, you must do your research and follow up on anything that you're doing, but it's just kind of crazy to me, you know, these people. Seem like they had to dig to find out if there were bodies, right? Mm-hmm. But archaeologists can go overseas to Egypt and discover the pyramids and dinosaurs and all of that kind of stuff deep down up in there and why weren't they able to have the technology out here to do that they didn't want it in they didn't want it. i mean yeah. with, i mean i'm just saying I, oh, you know i think it's i'm not sure if it's ou or osu but one of them have a worldwide you know archaeology team and they travel to different places and they do exactly what you were talking about i know okay mm-hmm. so if they're able to do that and they're chomping at the bit could you please would you please let us do this so we can you know this is history and the powers that be are like uh well uh, no. we, we already have somebody on with with, a, with like two picks or something trying yeah. to I mean, just it's, it's it's crazy it's they, just like for real and they do that you know and i'm like man yeah it was they, a, you think you got some you think you got some old suckers around and nobody can't figure some things out right you right, know i, I know right. you're capable of doing things. Technology is here. Right. They can look down in the ground for, so far. Without even disturbing the without soil. Without even to touching anything. Out. They right. got all kind of radars. Right. And, you know. And we pulling wagons. Yeah. <laughs> so like, okay. Yeah, we pulling those wagons, huh? So it was, that. that's come up, but story we were told was that, okay, we're going to use them. We've already talked to them. Our, our 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 little our mayor um just to listen to him sometime <laughs> okay I, I okay that's like, a whole okay. nother story okay if you say so honey <laughs> it's almost like if you say so baby. you know and we have our mayor but you know previous mayors wouldn't even touch it with right. a 10 foot pole right. right this this uncovering of these mm-hmm. mass graves mm-hmm. uh Bartlett didn't want to do it they didn't want to touch it with they didn't want to touch it at all so I have to give him credit for even going in that right, direction right but in the it. process of going down yeah. that 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 going into that field of landmines he has to maneuver yeah and that's the part that kind of like like oh man I don't know what to say I really don't know what to say yeah I don't know what to say about it either but it's uh well we're on a mission and we're coming up on uh, the centennial, oh, God. and this and is happening. Do you know next year? Oh God! Oh my! I almost want to. Almost want to make sure I'm not even here in this Oh space. my God! It's just. And you know we have the radio station here, and we already so they, you know. You're gonna be busy. Yeah, I, be I've busy. been so I've been busy right now. Right. You know, right. with all the people right. coming in this direction, LeBron James film mm-hmm. documentary, mm-hmm. National Geographic, Washington Post, and all of these people are coming wanting this information Nation. from right. our community. Right. Right. And they want the real stories. And not the sugar coated stories the sugar, that certain yeah. entities want it's like to sell books. She was baking her biscuits. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine <laughs> being in there cooking? I'm like, what the? Yeah. But that's the that yeah. is the narrative that uh, that's the narrative that people 
some people want to put out there to make and, other people feel comfortable. Yeah, and they only get their research based upon what they get off of YouTube yeah. and other things and stories, yeah. and then they put their little stories. They, they never come to the natives and talk to them directly, mm-hmm. you know, the descendants and things, mm-hmm. so they don't have those conversations, right? you know. But some people just want I, – I talked to a gentleman, uh, was it last year, and he was writing a book on the massacre – and he talked to me, and he made a quote in his book, you know, that Bobby Eaton said this. And I said, oh, man, he's selling his book for $25 a hit. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. said, a lot of times there's no compensation done for those who, uh, some of the elders who've given out all these stories. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Uh-huh. These elders, 85, 95-year-old. People. I'm gonna make sure I sell 200 books, okay? Right. Maybe a thousand. Right. At twenty five dollars each. Hit. Right. So, and they never yeah. get compensated for the information that they put in these people's books to help them sell their books. That's a part. That's the whole process. Yeah, and that's, so, it's no, a, unless you write your own book, Bobby, you ain't gonna get compensated. That's so, true. So you ain't get, gonna get compensated. Right. So you know, you got to be careful who you give your information to. Well, you know, that's true too. You know, but as now, long as you're talking and you're on the radio show, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to build a brand, not for mm-hmm. me, but for us mm-hmm. over here at Eden Media Services, because I think if we can get the word out there and get exposed to the world, that we can start reaping some of the information and things that could help us better our community. That's what I'm talking about. You know, yeah, LeBron James, y'all come over here and get me. You know what I mean? Because if something comes out of it then I'll be able to invest in youth and gardening and other stuff and all of our other projects that we're trying to get funded, you know, so that's the, that's, that's what the some, hope. That's the that's hope, the hope. you know, and keep hope alive. Yeah. Keep you hope know? alive. We've got to keep meantime, it alive. Yeah. You better be working on something that's else because you can't just count on. Well, no, you, know, you can't, you got to put your, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. I never do that. You know, you got to, have several things going on, oh, no, you know? right, right. But when, like you say, you're telling your story, and you're having all of these different entities come, and they will, and and it's just after one comes, oh, he can. Here so you come. have Westbrook. And you got you all have, your Westbrook's so coming too. So, so all of those guys are coming. Yeah. Okay. And then somebody else going to come, and somebody after else going to come. Yes, and then you start getting the people from international coming right. because mm-hmm. this is going to be a huge. Huge. It's starting right now. Okay. It's it's building. Yeah, it's building. So when it's, you it's get building once you get to that point, it's sort of like okay, telling our story. We're telling our story, and we're mm-hmm. telling our story. We're telling, and we keep we telling need, our story. But we need to start implementing some of the um, ideas that we come up with, and you know, just well, rebuilding. You know, one one rebuilding. thing about the centennial that I see, and I, I, I tell this to everybody, is that we're going to have a big hoopla of, of going on uh-huh. here for the yeah. centennial. I don't think it's a celebration. No, it's not. It's not a party. It's an so, embarrassment if you ask yeah, me, yeah, yeah. because it's after not a, it's a party. years and you only if got you're gonna come, Right. If you're going to come to not it, blocks, come to get some some information about your people and your ancestors and what happened down there and how horrific it was down on Black Wall Street. But so, yeah. that that's the horrific part, but we 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 missed the part where we rebuilt. Yeah, well we we, and we that's did. That's the part we that did. needs to be that's the part that's that part. needs to be 
focused on, you know, yeah. after two years. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, Sherry, is that some people don't understand the the before and the after. You have the you before, know. the you're, after, and now. Yeah, and right and I, now, we look like a hot, stinky mess. Well, I'm going to just tell you what You know, is. Black like, Wall Street is a little small area down there now. They put a freeway through it. Uh, OSU and all of them bought up all the land. And that's they cut the out, they cut the street up. Told. They cut out the streets and stuff. Well, they need to know what. Like, they need to know the whole and this story. Is the, and this is all over America. Mm-hmm. Period. They need to hear the entire story, not just the devastation part, mm-hmm. but they need to hear the story even before the devastation part, the devastation part and the after. Before they need to hear the whole story. And, now. and that's what I try to talk about is the whole story. Mm-hmm. Everybody mainly going to know that it was the biggest horrific thing that ever happened in, on U.S. soil before anything, you know, they know that part, mm-hmm. but they need to know the before and the after. And see, before, like before that, okay, we became a state in 1907. Mm-hmm. All right, all of that, yada yada yada. But how did they get the property? Where did the property come from? Who owned the property before statehood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know. Isn't that Creek you know, Territory? Had, he came in and bought up some property. But he was able to buy, Who did he buy his property from? Well, you know who he probably bought it from. From who did he buy it from? I don't then? know. Okay. But, you know, so, so, you know hey, yeah, right. I don't Perryman. know. That's never been told. So uh, the, native, the native part. That, that part has never freed, been told. The freedmen mm-hmm. that were given allotments. Exactly. Stuff, right. Okay. A lot of them owned property. And a lot of those people, those descendants, uh-huh. Okay. They're right. gone. They're gone. They're gone. And All their right. kids are still fighting and trying to get recognition. So mm-hmm. or some type of reparation for their family, like the the lawsuit that Solomon has going on. So, right, exactly. It's a lot. It's a lot. We're gonna take a little pause for the cause and we're gonna come right back. And uh you're on the Bobby Eaton show where we tell our stories our way. So stick around. We're going to be right back, okay? Let me see what I got going on right here. <laughs> All right. Do we have a friend on the line? Yeah, I'm trying to get her on the line and stuff like that. Hey, coming up, Jade Simmons. So you guys just stick around, okay? Mm-hmm.
Oh, yeah, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show. This is where we tell our stories our way, here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we have a great show for you today. And on the phone, we have Miss Jade Simmons. How are we doing, dear lady? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. And I know you've probably been a busy bee, right? <laughs> Just busy, <laughs> busy, huh? Of the century. Yeah, it's been, it's been a busy season for sure. Yeah. So uh, where are you currently at right now? Where you at? I'm actually, uh, my home is in Houston, Texas. Oh. We are riding out the remainder of the presidential campaign here. Right, okay. right, right. Well, you know, I lived in Houston for 22 years, you know. So, okay. Yeah, okay. right down in, a, I love H-Town, you know, so it's great. Great place to be. Lots of people, a lot of diversity and things like that going on down there. Were you really, you originally from Houston? I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, from okay, from Carolina. Okay, okay, uh-huh. great, 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 great. So, uh, you went to school there and everything, education wise, and right. I went to. Right. Yeah, I grew up in Charleston. My parents were from there as well. I went off to do my undergraduate at Northwestern University outside of Chicago, and then oh. I came here to Houston to get my master's degree from Rice University. And my husband and I. Who's also my high school sweetheart from Charleston? Mm-hmm. We uh, started our family here, so we're the proud parents of a son and a daughter, a 13-year-old and a seven-year-old. So oh, we've been okay. Experiencing what most of America has in terms of uh, as a small business owner, having to figure that out during COVID-19, and uh, you know, homeschooling kids in the middle of running for uh, busy would be the understatement of the century for sure. Okay. My question for you is one of the questions is what made you decide to run for president of the United States of America? Yeah, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded <laughs> question right, right you know, there. It's, it's uh, 10 months in. Uh, I started running as an independent for president in January of this year. We didn't announce it formally until February. We wanted to make sure we had all our paperwork in order. And we're so proud, Bobby, that right now you see our names on the ballot in Oklahoma uh, and yes. you know, people can vote for me in over 40 states. So we have done the work to be in line for all of the electoral votes that we would need. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a long haul, especially with all of the mainstream uh, media shutout that we face. So let me just go back and say thank you for making space for my voice here. But we, um, what I felt very strongly was that our nation was in desperate need of a new lane of leadership. Right. And probably like you and many others, I've found myself for, for years on end complaining, right? Why don't they say this? Why don't they deal with this issue? Why don't the Republicans do this? Why don't the Democrats do this? And, you know, after a while, you keep hearing yourself talk about what somebody else should do. You have to ask yourself, might you need to lean into this void? Uh, and even though I have an unlikely resume, it's one that I proudly uh, present as, as a top communicator and sought off after all over the world to come in and speak to organizations about transformation, about how to navigate change. And I'm also the daughter of a civil rights activist. So race relations is like a second language for me. Mm-hmm. And as I look right now, I see a president who's really operating more like an instigator in chief. I see <laughs> a vice, former vice president, Joe Biden, who I feel has a controversial past where right. the issues concerning us as an African-American community um, are going to be at the forefront. And I feel like out of the two of them, I offer a much more powerful path forward that would be progress instead of symbolism. Uh, and you wouldn't hear me only talking about law and order when there's issues of injustice at play. 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, applications that you would apply if you became president? You know, what where's your platform? What are you standing on? Your listeners can really do their due diligence in the last few days here. There's plenty of time to make a different, more powerful decision. They'll go to Operation Restoration 2020.com. Mm-hmm. We know attention spans are being fought over mm-hmm. right now. So what we did was we listed 20 top visionary platforms, and we put in, we call them post-it note forms. So right. short, sweet, and dirty, you can see exactly where we stand on the issues. Our biggest thrust is being if we can provide more access to opportunity for as many Americans possible. So let me just say out front, man, I'd be proud to be a president for all people. I don't see red and blue states as we've traveled the nation. We see more than 60% of this country is no longer satisfied with the two parties, right? Mm -hmm. And so we become a home for the politically homeless. We are meeting those 100 million who stay home and don't vote, and they are coming out to vote for us, registering for the first time, 18-year-olds casting their first vote for us, be a heart of service. So I I would be my vice president as well. Also another African-American female, Adelia Rose, we are looking to provide three things. Our policies fall under the terms pro-human, so you'll see where we stand on things like uh, immigration, uh, on the most divisive issues like abortion, we talk about those issues probably like nobody else. We're able to find uncommon common ground. Economically, we're looking to really shift to a more humane economy that allows more people to prosper. You'll see us talking about raising the minimum wage, which both parties, by the way, have not done since 2009. Which, uh, you'll which see is us needed. Taking some of that tax mm-hmm. load off of small business owners. I right now pay 50 times more t- more in taxes than our current president does and I'm not a billionaire mm. and I also don't pay any taxes to China that's sidebar by the way yeah, and is. if you look at what we're doing in our pro protection policies we found collaborative ways to talk about the gap right now between the systemic injustices we see in our law enforcement system and being able to bridge that gap where you have really great decent powerful law enforcement officers who say, look, I signed up to honor, protect, and serve. And they will tell you, they'll be the first ones to say, there are reforms needed in the system. So we can talk about creative, collaborative ways to have crisis prevention. That's going to build now back more trust in our communities of color, especially between them and law enforcement. Well, that's great right there. You know, uh, our previous, uh, before Trump got in office, Obama and Biden were in office and I really didn't see anything that Obama and Biden did for African Americans. Now, you know, yeah. I really didn't see a lot. You know, and if they did some, it was kind of on the DL, the down low. And um, I didn't see a lot of things that they did for African Americans. I see what he did with the LGBT and all of these other, yeah. his, you know, these other organizations and all these other people. But what mm-hmm. would you do if if you were president? for African-Americans. On that same website, OperationRestoration2020.com, as I tell you, I will be proudly a president for all. You can also expect me to be unapologetically a president who serves as a champion for underserved communities. And unfortunately, African-Americans rank about number one for being underserved in this nation. That's why I asked the question. So you'll see, yeah, that's right. You'll see platforms called Breakthrough 4, Black America. You will see 
breakthrough for immigrants, breakthrough for Native Americans, breakthrough for small business owners. You're not going to see on anybody else's website, Bobby, breakthrough for boys, men, and fathers. That's the one that I wanted you to talk about. We have really served unique communities because those communities have been underserved. Now, that being said, see a priority on reforming systems economically, educationally, and in criminal justice that have disproportionately negatively impacted impacted black people so you're going to hear me talking about education reform because no one else is talking about it we're right now focused on police brutality but even if you get all the dirty cops off the street and you still keep us in backwards low performing underfunded schools we still lose so we talk about things like entrepreneurial charter schools in our uh, communities that afford not just the students but the parents financial literacy classes in these in all of our schools entrepreneurial skills training in all of our schools and public education. Right now, we're about half a century behind in how we teach education. You hear me talk about reinvestment re- uh, and, and uh, restitution economically. Bobby, we went to Europe, invested $12 billion back in the 40s mm-hmm. uh, under the Marshall Plan. I talk about a new Marshall Plan where if we went over there because we wanted to help them after the ravaging of the war, we should help our own Americans after the ravaging of systemic injustice. We've got 400 years of backwards economy to make up for. So you'll see me talking about a 2% um, buy-in from our corporations now that they should be investing back into these communities that are keeping them afloat. You know, black people finance a lot of stuff around here. A lot of people are benefiting from money coming out of black people's pockets. You'll also see me get specific where funding and financing of businesses are concerned. We've settled for saying that we want to give more grants to minority-owned businesses. And because we've settled in that way, we've seen white women actually benefit most from that um, uh, segmenting out. So we now have to get specific and not just have minority-owned businesses, but black-owned businesses. About $13 trillion has been lost. And, and attached to racism where it comes to economic advancement. So we're looking to prioritize now funding for black businesses and black home ownership. We know that home ownership is one of the top ways to get to economic stability and economic development. So we get specific. We're not afraid to do that because we don't believe it's reverse racism or discrimination. What we believe now is that if you've had all of these years of systemic injustice, you must now go back and build in systematic success. And that's going to take reinvestment into our communities. And when I say our, I'm not talking about black. Our means all. Because if we actually go back and do what's required to do to make it a level playing field for African Americans in this country, the whole economy benefits. The GDP goes up 3 to 4% just by doing what we should have already been doing. Uh, so you'll see those policies laid out on my website. Yeah. And, it's, you know, I believe that it's all about a lot has to do with policy changes, you know, yeah. change policies, yeah. you know, we're, see, but you know, also, Bobby, I don't want us solely dependent on a government that is not built up to serve us and has proven over the past that it's not going to do that. It's not forced. Right. So you're going to hear me talking about things that the government can do like welfare reform right now. To me, it's, it's more like government controlled poverty, the way that that system is set up, but you're also going to hear me challenging black community. Listen, we need to have our own schools. Our own I say it all the time. My, my Jewish sure. friends, 
uh, my Korean friends when I was in school, they went to Korean school on Saturday. They went sure. to Hebrew school um, on the weekend so that they could learn about their culture. Mm-hmm. My father taught us a mm-hmm. very different African and African-American history than I was learning in school. Mm-hmm. And I That's know one of the that things. that has changed the way I see myself, my worldview, how I see people around me. And what it's allowed me to do is not to adopt the position of black supremacy, but to understand that what I contributed in, in this society is equal to. And that if I do what I need to do, that I can have access if systems are not built against me. So while we know the president, I encourage everybody to go out and vote locally and statewide as well. The president is not going to change your life overnight. What the president can do overnight is change the atmosphere and climate of this nation. And I believe where we're headed now, we have two parties that are intent on dividing us in order to maintain or attain power. And imagine having an independent president where for the first time, you can wake up the next day and not wonder whose side your president is on. That's the change that we need immediately if we're going to have real recovery and reconciliation. Absolutely. And I agree with you there. And your platform, your 20 items are all on point. They're very, very specific in what you're asking for as far as your platform is concerned. The two things, you're only on the ballot in Oklahoma and Louisiana, and the other areas is it's sign-in. Your platforms are beautiful. You know, I, I keep hearing about these other people and their platform. Your platform touch on so many different things that other people are afraid to say. Specifically, when we talk about education, you talk about restoration of um, – what, what, here it is, platform number 17, breakthrough for boys, men, and fathers. And then you talk about mm-hmm. education. All of those kind of tie in together, which are very powerful. And I want you to give us some, as far as the education in our communities, you said something about charter schools. In, in our country, we see a move toward charter schools. And a lot of the charter schools are owned by other organizations that aren't necessary mm-hmm. that don't necessarily look like us and it's almost more of the same and right. our kids still are not performing where they need to be that's right so we we're in a system we're basically in a space where we're trying to get rid of public education as we know it and lean mm-hmm. more toward charter school not saying either mm-hmm. one of them you know are bad but how do we get our kids where they need to be? I love that question. Let, let me first do another piece of education, a bit of voter education. Uh, I am indeed on the ballot in two states, meaning you'll see my name there. Yes. What is most important is that I am legally registered, a certified write-in in more than 40 states. And when you write my name in, let's say in the state of New York, in the state of Florida, in Georgia, mm-hmm. what happens is that vote counts exactly the same as an on-ballot vote. So, you know, it, it's disturbing that cases like Wikipedia will only show those two states without letting people know that I'm actually available for more than 270 electoral votes across the country. So just so voters know right there in Oklahoma, they will see my name and my vice president, Claudelia Rose's name. Yeah. But we're available to the majority of Americans. And man, it has been hard work. We face tremendous candidate suppression. States who are run by either party um, who are determined to keep my name uh, out as being an option because they're worried about my so-called taking the votes 
of what they consider their constituents. And what we say is, I can't take anyone's vote. Earn right. uh, votes over your candidate. That's exactly what I'm supposed to be here doing. And it's your candidate's job to keep their votes, right? So, right. And, and also, I think we even saying that is wrong. It's not their votes. It's not Trump or Biden's votes. It's the people's votes. And I think the best thing we can do is be mysterious about where we're voting. They shouldn't know that just because I'm black, I'm voting Democrat, that just because I'm Christian, I'm voting Republican, because when they have that kind of information, they no longer have to serve us. In education, I believe the government's priority is to make sure that public schools are schools of choice. What I mean by that is you should not have to go to a charter school to have top-rated education and school choice, which I don't have a problem with. What I have a problem with is choice now decimating our public schools, that you're taking our uh, students out of public schools, not funding the public schools, and then you're putting them in charter schools that are still, like you said, underperforming. I mentioned charter schools only because now I do believe that because this system exists, we need to make sure we're taking top advantage of it. And so some of my advisors are the people who are starting schools in their communities Mm -hmm. that are geared towards a different kind of history uh, and uh, historical education in their communities. Mm -hmm. But my first priority, my uh, aunt, who is a principal, has been a principal in everything from Title I to Charter to private to arts, you name it. She has chosen to spend the majority of her career in Title I because of the disparities that you mentioned. So we spend a lot of our emphasis on bolstering public schools so that no child is limited by their neighborhood or their socioeconomic status. I went to public school. My husband and I, all we, we both went to public school. That was our plan mm-hmm. for our kids. We live out in Kingwood, which, Bobby, you know, is a, a white oh, yeah, area, for sure. very affluent area. And we, uh, one of our kids had a diagnosis that we had to find special schooling for. And we were then faced with, do we take our kids out of the most diverse school, which really is not diverse, um, so that they can have the resources they need, which means now what we pay for school oh, is wow. something akin to a mortgage payment wow. for most Americans. Right. And so my husband and I said, God, how many other black boys? Mm-hmm. have this diagnosis and are being misdiagnosed as behavior issues are being set up now to go right into that school to prison pipeline because their parents can't afford a mortgage payment for school. Right. And we are so blessed by the choice we have. The school that we send him to is incredible. And now they both go to a, a private Christian school because our faith is important to us. Mm-hmm. And so we're not dependent on public school. Um, to give that to them, we have the means to choose, but we want to make it sure, make it so that the average American, uh, even if they're working minimum wage in Texas, which is still unfortunately 725, that that doesn't affect the level of education that their kids get. So you'll see on the on the education tab there under ProHuman, uh, we go into a little more detail about these educational issues, but I'm so glad you you brought that up because disparity is one of the things we're focused on with Operation Restoration. How do we restore equality and justice in all of our systems, education, economic, and otherwise? Mm -hmm. Jay, how do we uh, deal with our mental health issues taking place in our country and some of our underserved communities? Because I've noticed that uh, 
we are, have a lack of counselors and mental health counselors. And when you have a community of underserved people, some of the hope is lost and people feel like they're depressed and, and there's a lot of depression and things taking place. So what can we do in our communities across this nation that are underserved mm-hmm. who have mental health issues? Because I don't see that being really addressed. I mean, everybody's talking okay. about, we're talking about COVID and we're talking about other mm-hmm. stuff, but we never really administrative people that in higher ranking uh, areas never really talk about mental health. That's right. Uh, I had the honor as a young 22-year-old to testify in front of Congress on behalf of mental health funding and awareness, and my focus was youth suicide prevention at the time, and I was able to participate in the Surgeon General David Thatcher's rollout for a national strategy to prevent suicide, so that is still one of my uh, platform issues. You'll see it in that top 20 breakthrough for mental health and mental health awareness. Now, you mentioned underserved communities, but here's what, here's what, what we got to pay attention to now. We had the luxury of focusing on underserved communities before COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Here's what COVID-19 has done. It has exacerbated our mental health situation. Our healthcare workers now have rising suicide rates, those frontline workers. And why is that? Because we fumbled the handling of COVID-19 and overburdened our healthcare system. You know, we feel like we're coming out of it, right? Those of us who we pulled down in March, April, and May, you talk to those nurses and doctors who have not had a break mm-hmm. since March, right? And so what, what's happening now is we go into this third and fourth wave with flu season coming. You've got healthcare workers who've not only been doctors and nurses, but they've had to morph into being hospice care. They had to morph into being the people giving the last rites in the rooms because the families couldn't come in. There is an impending, I believe, epidemic of mental health crises because of the way that we have mishandled COVID-19. So that's why we prioritize mental health. And what we did, uh, you mentioned that you noticed, we try to have all of our platform issues tie in. And the reason we do that is one, because you can't argue about the things that are affecting everybody. (laughs) So when you think mental health is just an issue for people who are criminally insane, you don't pay attention to it. (laughs) When you understand that your mom next door is contemplating suicide because she's been home for all of these months with her kids with no other support and finances are down, we're suddenly paying more attention. So we talk about bolstering our mental health services in the military as well, um, and we look at more awareness in African-American and communities of color because it is even more stigmatized in minority communities. We still haven't even normalized going to ask for help. One of the ways that I believe we have to combat it in the future is addressing it in the schools early. Now, we focused on school security because of school shootings. We still haven't focused on counseling. I believe now we need to almost triple the number of counselors in schools and imagine every kid having access to regular counseling in school. Not just the problem kids, the at-risk kids, the ones who request right. resources, yeah, the quiet ones. but that every kid now <laughs> mm-hmm. begins to have access every quarter to a counseling session. You get two things there. You get them being able to learn the art of asking for help, which I didn't learn until I was about 35, right? Mm-hmm. Learning the art of asking for help, 
the art of expressing themselves, speaking about their emotions. You then destigmatize going to counseling in the first place because it'll be a required thing that all kids do, almost like a class that they have to take. And they're learning coping mechanisms. And if there are any red flags, your counselors are the first to see it. So that is the, the, those are the types of collaborative, innovative solutions that we propose. Nobody's talking about these issues the way that we talk about them because we have nothing to lose. We can afford to just talk about the issues the way that the average American needs to hear about them. We don't have to politicize them, and we don't have to pit people against each other to get a vote. We just speak in the way that we find is so appealing and compelling because it's addressing the actual issues and it's starting from a place of solution. Hmm. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, I see it a lot, you know, I see it a lot in our community because I'm out and about in the community and uh, you ever get a chance to go into the underserved communities into the hood? Oh yeah, you know when um, I, well, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't know it was the hood. It was just <laughs> where my grandma lived. You yeah, know right, right, exactly. Just love going to grandma's house. We didn't call it. It just exactly. was what it was. Yeah, right. you right. My right. husband right. and I joke. My husband and I joke about you know, free lunch and and the plums and all that stuff we used to love from all of that, and that's where I grew up. And even though I had the privilege and the honor of having. Uh, parents who I didn't find out until I was later, you know, were on assistance when I was a baby. But for them, the goal was never to stay on assistance. Mm -hmm. And so most of my childhood, I, I remember having two working parents who made ends meet. I played five different instruments, three different sports. Mm -hmm. I was that overscheduled kid, had piano lessons, was in the marching band. So I had a tremendous childhood and upbringing, but the way that my father especially raised me was you never forget not only where you come from, but you never forget the people who are still phases behind where you were. So as an artist, that's how I made my early career. I now have a very successful uh, business as a small business owner, and that's really my speaking business. But I still remember what it was like to be a freelance artist, you see. So we put forth, forth policies that help protect freelance artists and contractors who were left out in the stimulus funding because I remember what it was like. Imagine now people could go to the polls, not just voting for what they need for where they are right now, but they also voted in remembrance of where they used to be, where they came from, the people who are still trying to get where they are, the ones who don't even have the bootstraps that they now so proudly say they have pulled themselves up by. That is the kind of error that we need to move into. Lastly, I'll say in Charleston, we were uh, in one of the projects down there, and I was gathering signatures to get on the ballot. And a, a young man saw me and recognized me as the candidate. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm gathering signatures. He said, yeah, but you have to send your people. I said, why would I send people to do stuff that I'm not willing to do? Mm -hmm. And that man said, you got my vote right here just for being here. And I had to tell him, don't let it be that easy. Don't let me just show up, look like you, and get your vote. Do your right. due diligence. And if you resonate with my platform, then mm -hmm. proudly, proudly vote for me, and I'll proudly yeah. serve you. Well, yeah. and so that's a new way. You know, that's the issue that I've had with a lot of politicians. You don't see them until election it's time. election time. You know, right. they're that's coming right. into our neighborhoods, want to get on a radio station, want to go come to our churches and things of that nature. You don't see them until election time. Mm -hmm. and 
And it's uh, it's really we're, disturbing. We're in Flint, Michigan, Bobby. It's it's real quiet in Flint right now. Yeah. It's real quiet. You know, and I sat down with the mayor, by the way, the only mayor in all of America, not that we contacted every single one of them, but out of all the ones that we contacted, the only one that would agree to sit down with me and talk about solutions. Because he's already a rebel within the Democratic Party. Party. So mm-hmm. he's looking for how do I serve the people of Flint? I wanted to talk about the issues where water was concerned. And so, you know, it's it's something now where your politicians are more loyal to the party than they are to their own people. That's what we've been seeing all over the nation. Mm-hmm. Only one uh, NAACP <laughs> president would sit down with us. Really? And that was a one of the youngest, one of the youngest presidents, and she's out of Minnesota. Wow! And she sat with us and, ex- and you know explained to us the difficulty of breaking through some of these walls. But being independent has been a liability. I would not do it any other way. Uh, and the the more that I've seen behind the scenes, I am more confirmed uh, mm-hmm. that no matter what I do politically, it will always be as an independent because mm-hmm. we must break free of the stranglehold these parties have on us. Uh, they no longer have the necessity of serving us because they, they know that we're going to do basically whatever they scare us into doing. And until we stand up as, as a people, meaning all Americans, and say, you know what, you're going to have to go back to earning my vote. You're not entitled to anything. Um, that, that's where we're going to really begin to see change. And that part, the part which you said, earning my vote and people being afraid like right now we're in a situation where it's like mm-hmm. your vote like by you're voting for your soul you're being scared into voting for a particular mm-hmm. candidate because you're like okay we got to get this done we can't continue on in the in the way that we're going so you're forced okay. you know you know that whole thing choosing between two evils or whatnot mm-hmm. and regardless right. of whoever winds up in that space as an independent, that information that you're talking about and that, that grassroots has to be done on a regular basis and getting, getting, right. getting your word and mission out to everyone. So we, mm-hmm. and, and it's sort of like, I feel like we dropped the ball in 2016 without having yep. like, okay, this is what we got to do, getting that information out. And then we start hearing other people that claim to have different type of platforms and had conversations with this person and your name doesn't come up. You see what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's the work The we still have work to do and the work needs to be done now as far as getting, getting, getting your, what we need to do as a community, what we need to do as a nation as it relates to brown and black people more so. Let me just say black people, because we always have a tendency to talk about everybody else, but you're the only person mm-hmm. that say black businesswoman, yeah. black yeah. boy, black male, black, you know, you talk about that, and you talk about you the economic have to talk about it. You wouldn't have to talk about it if those groups, if black men weren't disproportionately incarcerated if black businesses weren't disproportionately underfunded. So the specificity of the injustice demands the specificity, you know, in the solutions. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I I agree with you. I I think this is, you know, listen, I'm a, I'm a 
woman of God, I'm a minister, and I know what God can do. And as we see people begin to send us these ballots from all over the nation, these pictures of people who we didn't know we were reaching, um, who are going to the polls for us. It's very exciting because they don't look like what we expected. Right. That, you know, people thought, oh, she's going to split the black vote. Black people were some of the last ones to get on the bandwagon. Let right. me just tell you and be honest about it. So we right. were originally supported um, from this variety of groups, these progressives on the left, conservatives on the right who were tired of hitching their wagon to a president who professed to believe like them, but tore up their witness every time he opened his mouth. mouth. Right. They're not the ones who are out there yelling. And saying Trump 2020 or riding with Biden, right. they just quietly, quietly, politely do their research and go to the polls. They're the same people who snuck and voted for Obama, and they're the same people who snuck and voted for Trump. They are looking for what they believe are solutions, and they're not as tied as we think um, to either side. But I, I agree with you. Um, we were here. We were naive. We thought that the story of a black female uh, woman of faith who is really being accused of splitting the vote on both sides, has buy-in from both sides, would be a national story. But you don't even hear it. In the age of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, daughter of a civil rights activist, all these things. When we tell you all the major black figures know we're here, we reached out to Ice Cube for a long time. Yeah. For a long time. We were reaching out to Roland Martin for a long time. Uh, Ebony and Essence, when they were inviting Joe Biden to come talk about his plans for mm-hmm. Black America at the Essence Festival, we were saying, hey, we'd like a slot there. Can we talk about that? So there's a lot that will come out in the wash. Uh, and what I think is maybe foremost is the hypocrisy that we have in this nation when we allow symbolism to prevail. So they would rather give you a street named after George Floyd than actually deal with qualified exactly. immunity. Exactly. Oh, know, for sure. And people buy into that. Yeah, they do. That's That's Are they actually going to give us real restitution right. where some of these uh, programs and financing and funding is concerned? And so these are the things that have to be demanded. I don't know about you. I don't see Trump making those demands, even with his platinum plan, which which I'd have to believe is pretty much a ploy for the election. And I also don't believe that Joe Biden um, is going to speak in this way. So I think there's work to be done. And we believe no matter what happens, this is just the start, because most Americans want to detach from mm. these parties and build something. And different. that's the part that we, we kind of forgive. We were here at one point in time in our history, almost 100 years ago, a third party. And the two dominant parties made it their business to squelch that third party that was growing in our country. And that's something that we really don't talk about as it relates to history. And it's almost like history is repeating. History has an opportunity to repeat itself in a positive way, I think, with Mm. what you're doing. So we have to be, we have to keep, regardless of what happens. You still have to be that voice out front, getting people, keeping people engaged and saying, okay, remember this. This is what we have to fight for. Remember this. They're still still not addressing your needs. And hold whomever in in office, hold them accountable. Put their feet to the fire. 
but we we have a tendency to kind of fall off after November, like November fourth. It's like okay, back to well, we'll see what they do, and <laughs> yeah, nothing happened. Obama last night. You're right. I, I saw Obama on a barbershop with LeBron James, and yeah, um, you know, listen, I don't tend to. Uh, throw Obama under the bus. One of the thing, one of the problems that I think Obama had is he was not there representing black people. He was there representing the Democratic Party. Yeah, and, so I, and I agree. That's, that's why. I, agenda, yeah, that's why you know I bring I mean? that up. That, you know, I'm, I'm always talking that, about that. It's important. Yeah, it's important because, the, and that's why I keep saying it doesn't matter if you switch red or blue. If we just put Biden in office and go think we can breathe easy, all we've done uh-uh. is sit on a little thing. No, 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 no. You we have to fight. You know, we'll go. Oh man, the, the chaos is over. Okay, but has the progress begun? No. Nope. And then you got to also remember this, and I don't mean to be divisive when I say this, but I feel like I have to speak the truth in this. There is also a white progressive agenda. That is not the same as what is needed for African Americans, and right now it is that part of the of the left that controls, I believe, the Democratic Party. When once Biden gets into office, so but when you have the Democratic Party and Ice Cube's defense, he said he went to both parties. Or yeah, he did. Both yeah. came to him, and what he said was, and I and I'll, I'll give props to the Trump team for strategy. They said, "Come on in." Let's let's talk. Let's talk with you, Ice Cube. Let's have a what conversation. What the Democratic Party said, right, to to Cube, what they said to him was, "Hey, listen, we'll deal with the platforms later. We'll later talk on. about how mm-hmm. they move forward later. For now, right, just come on on our side, right. You see, and that is the, those are the conversations that are truly happening, not to our uh, benefit. So, you know, Obama had had his hands tied to me." By the Democratic Party, my my Pan African friends will, will argue differently. Uh, they give him no breaks at all. I do uh, believe yeah, the LGBTQ like, community. Yeah, um, Umar don't give no breaks. Great right. advancement under him, uh, but I think here's what Obama didn't have that I would have, or any independent. We have this climate. When's right. the next time Nike, the NFL, the NBA is going to be admitting their systemic injustice? Right. And pledging themselves to this issue. Now, even if you don't believe they're sincere, it do what you just said, hold their feet to the fire, call them on their bluff. All the people who release symbolic statements of solidarity, mm-hmm. there should be a list of those companies. And now we need to go back and say, what are you actually going to do besides just telling us that you sympathize with the issue? Uh, you know, companies like Ben and Jerry's, those they're hardcore. That should be the model of how we move forward um, in this season. Those should be the companies that we are partnering with and, and having collaborative uh, project, programs and projects with. So I see a lot of hope out of this season. Um, you said earlier we wasted 2016, and we could be any people group. Right. If you were serious about immigration reform, why didn't immigrants raise up a candidate? <laughs> right? right. If, if African-Americans were serious about African-American policies, why didn't they raise up their own candidate? See, we, we, we bought into the fact that the Democratic Party is the savior of all of those underserved groups. And then on the right, my Christian friends, if you wanted a real Christian, why didn't you raise one up in the last four years? And then allow him to compete against the incumbent instead of t- letting the incumbent tell you, y'all not going to have any competitors coming my way. You see, there's a lot to be answered for on both, both sides. sides. And, and I right. think 
when we get over the fear uh, of this moment, we'll be able to have a different conversation on the other side. But like you said, the operative word there, the fear of this moment, because right now a lot of people are afraid. Um, I'm in Oklahoma, and Mm -hmm. we're both in Oklahoma. When I can drive out in rural Oklahoma and see Supercracker and a Confederate flag out in the (laughs) open, that's a problem. That is a problem. So that that in itself is almost like a fear tax, you know. Yeah. For people. Well, I want you to understand how it's also being interpreted on the other side is that we drive outside, we see a BLM um, poster. Right. And that means, right, that they are coming to our suburbs. They are going to take over our areas. Uh, this is one of the reasons I'm very cautious about but, community policing. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, when you, mention, when, you mention, when you mention BLM, now this is just my observation I think you mm-hmm. have just as many uh, whites in the forefront, just as many as the blacks, you know, in BLM. Maybe more. Maybe, maybe yeah, right. Maybe more. more, more so. BLM is <laughs> we, predominantly we white, to, you know. Yeah, we, yeah, listen, we went to New Mexico yeah. um, right, right in June, and we, we still get a kick out of it because we went to uh, attend one of the Black Lives Matter events, and we were the only black people. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, you know, yeah. New Mexico has about two percent black population, and right. I, and I, you know, I exaggerate a little bit. The guy on the mic was biracial, and there was one African American couple, uh, probably in their forties, and then a young uh, African American girl who was about fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, not not that that's. I think my father would say, "Listen, I love to see a multicultural um, coalition." for these issues because we know the history of our nation, that's when progress happens, right? right. You get rid of slavery when other white people say this is bad. You get rid of chauvinism when other men say this is bad. That's right. just like take it or leave it. That's that's how it's been. Um, but my point is that fear mongering is going on on both sides. So on the other side, there's a fear of socialism. Um, and so whenever you talk about programs for the poor, that's painted as socialism and government takeover. But if you give that same money to wealthy corporations, it's called bailout and stimulus. Like a couple of you our see, senators so received that, that money. Double talking that doesn't uh, really make us have the conversation we need to have. I spent a lot of my time in corporate America. And so the relationships that I bring to the table are with CEOs who have decided to prioritize their people above the bottom line. Now, it's not all selfless. They understand if my people are doing good, then so is my bottom line. Right. You see, so you don't have to buy into what we're saying from the humanitarian level. You can buy into from the economic standpoint. But you now have to have a leader who can talk and speak both of those languages and get these different factions to the table. But that fear um, is being used powerfully uh, by President Trump. And the left gives him his rhetoric. We come out and say abolish police. He runs to them and says they want to get rid of your safety. Mm-hmm. You see, he says law and order. And we bring that back and understand, hey, he doesn't even want to deal with the injustice. Nobody's saying, let's have some reconstruction of law enforcement. Let's have some additional funding for crisis prevention. So just by speaking in that way, you take away the fighting words that both sides have put up for us with each other. Um, And that's the kind of nuance now that we have to have in leadership that um, it's rare. It's rare, and I, I believe it's a lost art 
platform, and it's what politics was supposed to be, which is the art of compromise. And the parties were supposed to serve these different groups, not pit them against each other. Hmm. That is so deep right there. I just, um, you know, my, my whole platform is this, Jade. Um, I think when you make underserved people and people who are impoverished people have a better life, then you you have a better life for the whole nation because everybody everybody comes up, you know. But That's as it. long as you have That's big it. corporate businesses and multimillionaires and old gray silver foxes running everything and there's no policy changes taking place, uh, uh, the rate of incarcerated black males is number one across the nation. Oklahoma has one of the most highest rated incarcerated females right here and you live in a red state like this with racism and uh, all of this going on and you're subject to it, you know, it's just crazy to me. And so when we have a presidential election and this one right here is probably one of the most, I mean, I've never witnessed an election like this is coming up right now. You mean you got everybody early voting on polls and things like that. (laughs) Hey, the main election hasn't even taken place and you got six million votes already in. in. So it's crazy. It's just madness out here. I think that President Trump, well, Trump has divided this country in a lot of ways. I really do. I think that he's, um, he's a great actor. Uh, he's condemned and talked about people, call them names. Uh, he's done so many things and said many things. And we as African-Americans, we're so conditioned to being Democrats, you know. And so yeah. we don't think outside the box. Uh, well, look, let me try something different because our mothers were Democrats and grandfathers and everybody was there. So we're going to follow tradition, you know. And so yeah. we're not, right. we don't want to think for ourselves, you know, and that's some of the issues that we have right yeah. here, you know, in our community. You know, when people, um, people will tell our voters, listen, you're going to split the vote. And first of all, I, I commend the two of you um, for just jumping right in the real issues. But that is an elephant in the room, and uh, everybody's worried, right? Are you going to split the vote? Well, the, the funny thing is if they did their research, they would find out that both parties are concerned. I'm going to split their vote. That's an exciting Yes, you see, because it finally means you have a candidate now who is able to to to, to be compelling to people from all over the political spectrum. That means that we're representing more of America than either of the parties are representing. But that problem with tradition, you know, a lot of things used to be tradition. Mm-hmm. Oh. Things used to be tradition too. Right. You know, so we got to get very careful about tradition and. The one thing and I would change tradition to the black community who's so concerned about, you know, that fear, right? We just got to get this guy out. Well, that's only half of the equation. It's not just who do we get out. It's who do we put in. And in the next four years, you have to do some vision work. Can you imagine Biden speaking into this moment like it needs to be done? Can you imagine Kamala being the driving force? of the reform and change. If you can't, then you've got to do your due diligence and see if there's anyone else who would. Lastly, I would say the, the friends of mine who have been bullied, you know, by their friends and family and say, you can't vote for her, that's a vote for Trump. Or funny enough, the Trump people will say, you can't vote for her, that's a vote for Biden. 
go figure, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But the funny thing ab- ab- about that instance is, you know, when, you, when you're trying to scare people into voting the way that you want them to vote, you're literally asking them to give up their freedom um, right. of vision and conscience, to be able to vote their vision mm-hmm. and their conscience. So we're excited mm-hmm. now that a lot more people are going to the polls to vote vision over fear. And they're asking themselves, not just what do I want out, but what do I want in office? And they're envisioning what they want the nation to feel like, what they want their leader to speak like, how they want their leader to see them. And then that's why they are casting uh, their vote for us. And we're just so proud of people who have boldly uh, done that. Um, And they don't see it as a wasted vote. They believe the only wasted vote is a vote for something that you don't truly believe in. You know, our ancestors did die so we could vote, but they did not die so we could continue to be in bondage to a system that's not serving us. Right, mm-hmm. right. And we have a friend here in town. She is a big advocate of yours, um, Christy oh, William. Williams. Mm-hmm. She has your sign. She's educating She's us about oh, you. Awesome. So I just want to awesome. put that out there in the universe that you you have you have support here in Oklahoma. Oh, you do. You do. And, and uh, we got to continue that regardless of what happens. Yeah. Right. You must continue the journey. I mean, it's put in you, you know, continue. Don't we, we should never give up and just quit, you know, and right. just, can't just continue the journey. Because you we know? have people, right. there are people here that want that voice. They want your voice. Mm-hmm. They, 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 your platform, your platform, right. Everybody, exactly. you know, so your vision is beyond this universe so well thank you that that means we the whole team we all have already understood well first of all we feel like we've already won and we've seen the hope that we've brought and mm-hmm. we've probably operated even more like a ministry and a movement yeah. <laughs> in your average campaign and we did that on purpose we didn't want to look like anything people had seen before sure. we didn't want to sound like anything they had heard before so that's so encouraging to hear uh, that yeah. that's happening in Oklahoma and we've met people of, of all backgrounds, all ethnicities there, um, who are indeed voting for us. And that's been powerful from Native Americans to mm-hmm. white Americans, black Americans, young Americans. So it's, it's been really wonderful to see that. I just thank you again for making the space uh, and treating this candidacy with, with dignity and respect, as I, as I know you would for any of the other candidates. That, that I think, is the starting place, right, to be yeah. able to have these kinds of conversations. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. How many mm-hmm. African-American black females have ran for president who've been actually on the ballot? I know back in the day, Shirley Chisholm and, you know, stuff like that. How many do you know? Now, I always knew of Shirley Chisholm, but, but she, of course, um, wasn't on the general election ballot, of course. Mm-hmm. And then recently, someone was telling me about another a black woman who has run. Now, I will say there's a black woman on the vice presidential uh, ticket for Brock Pierce, who has also mm-hmm. not gotten any media. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're out there. And it's funny, I haven't had a lot of time to really think and luxuriate in the historical possibility of it all, because we've been so focused on doing the work. And so mm-hmm. someone said, how would you feel to be you know, the first African-American female president? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I've been so focused on trying to become the first servant leader president who actually works to serve more Americans uh, as possible. So mm-hmm. listen, if, if, I, if how I make history, 
I would love for it to be not about, um, you know, who I was as a person, but the kind of solutions and, and impact I'm able to, to leave behind. So to join the ranks of anyone doing this is, is, is um, I'm humbled by it because it's a hard road. I know uh, it is. It's probably made it a hundred times harder running as an independent. I've been approached by both parties before in the past uh, to run for office and have, have never taken the bait. Um, and so mm-hmm. I just hope that this, if nothing else, people see it and understand that there are things that they are called to do that will be hard, but that there is a great reward. And you win the moment you say yes to the hard impossible thing. So my team, <laughs> we're already celebrating. And no matter what, we know our lives will never be the same. Right. Uh, many of us had very nice, uh, you know, uh, positions and corporate things we were doing. And we just can't imagine going back to doing just that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we have you been up against the media coverage? Have they not opened their doors toward you? They have slammed the door shut. Slammed the door shut. They know that we're here. ABC, um, a big-time producer at ABC, one of our supporters is friends with someone high up, and said, hey, we, we, we want you to cover Jade Simmons. And, and the producer said, oh, we know she's running. We've been watching her since March. <laughs> Wow. And they said, but we can't afford to cover her because she oh, is too compelling. That's what they said. Because she's what? Here's the second part is too compelling. She mm, was wow. too excited. So that Maybe. means uh, you need this type of um, platform, independent platforms that are not controlled by, you know, media. investors and mm-hmm. things yeah. of that nature. So, so what we, that's it. Mainstream media, um, and we wow. didn't realize how deep the hooks were. We understood <laughs> there was bias, right? You can watch CNN and watch Fox and understand right. which, you know, which side they're on. Right. We didn't know that they were biased enough to not even uh, comply with the Fair Coverage Act, which demands that if you cover Trump and Biden, you should also, they should have least be covering Joe yeah. Jordanson. Yeah, the right. libertarian candidate on the ballot in all 50 states. When you see Biden and Trump, you will see her name. Yet, because of uh, what you mentioned earlier, there's a memorandum agreement signed legally binding that forbids third parties to be on the stage. That's signed by who? Republican and Democratic Party. They don't agree on much, but they have literally legally gone to court to make sure that we can't appear on the debates. Can you imagine? So, how do you have gotten a chance to be on the stage? Okay, so you got to change that. You got to change that. We got to change that. They've gone to court over it twice now, um, and it may be something that we end up uh, taking and pursuing because it's just absolutely appalling. After those first debates, you know that the search for alternative presidential candidate went up by 400. Wow. So people saw that mess and said, oh, God, got to have something else. <laughs> okay, so that makes yeah. me think so about um, NPR want- and PBS. What, what, what are they controlled no, they're to? They're all locked in. Oh, my they're God. No. They're all locked in. They're and all locked in. The yeah. I, they, when I tell you, black media has 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 cast this die, and they are on the side of blue, no matter what. So black lives matter. Black voices matter as long as those voices are saying um, oh what God. people want them to say. The minute this black voice says, "Hey, we don't have to do just that," then it's put her on mute. So wow. it's been funny to us to watch. Hashtag win with black women for Kamala Harris 
when we could have been winning with black women since January of 2020. You see, wow. so this is when I say the hypocrisy um, is rampant. It is, it, it's probably one of the most disappointing things to see Christian media as well. Christian media. Oh, listen, God, I don't even want to talk about them. Or the oh, Christian, Christian media. That is embarrassing. Listen, so that's, the, you know, Christian media could have been saying, listen, we've been praying for someone who actually talks like us, who actually doesn't hold up the Bible upside down, but walks on its principles every day. Let's, let's lift her up, right? And wow. so they have refused to cover me because guess why? I'm too Christian. Wow. <laughs> because they're concerned that their actual followers of Christ will look at me and see someone they actually resonate with um, who doesn't take scripture out of context, who doesn't use religion to manipulate. People. And yet instead, what we've been embraced is in unexpected circles. LGBTQ community has embraced us, even though I'm openly a person of faith, because they say, we see a heart of service. One of our volunteers said, I've never felt this loved before, this seen before. Mm-hmm. Yet they know we don't agree on all of the issues. Right. They know we don't call... Uh, maybe define marriage in the same way, but they see me show the same outrage for the death of a transgender woman as I do for George Floyd, as I do for an unborn baby, and as I do for people dying at the border. And it's that kind of comprehensive fairness and justice that people are looking for. It's not saying you've got to believe like me, worship like me, go to church like I do, but my faith for me tells me you must honor, serve, love, and protect all people, even when you disagree with them, and even when you don't believe in the same way. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine Fox is not going to put that on. No. Wow. But I mean, because, right? I mean CNN's not going to put that on. No, they won't. They but won't with the do Christian it. Broad, yeah. with the Christian network, which is very just as powerful as a Fox News, in my You're opinion. You talking about like a TBN or yeah, something? Yeah, because they're out there and they have mm-hmm. they have devoted followers. Yeah, they do. Okay. But they all get funding. Look, they get funding. You got to remember. So election year is where these networks get the bulk of their funding. That's going to keep the light on, the lights on for years to come. So why would you then alienate your major funding by daring to put on this independent who's going to make your party's candidate look bad? Wow. You see, so everything leads back to the green. We finally have to bite the bullet. And we're grassroots as they come. I financed the majority of my campaign. Uh, My stellar revenue year I had in 2019 definitely got depleted in 2020. Oh, wow. But um, it was worth it because of what's been exposed. But we, we put a lot of money into a national commercial that is airing across the country in select market. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to pay for that because we couldn't get coverage from even local media. So people said, you should call the investigative reporter. Well, the investigative reporter is what? A part of that network. Right. So here's how the pay-to-play works. If I say, look, Bobby, I'm going to put $10,000 of ads on your station. Mm-hmm. You just got a $10,000 spend. Now what we need we need you to cover Jade. And you go, okay. And I said, now, and you, you say, I'll think about it. And I said, well, would you think about it a little harder if we put another 5000 on the table? A lot Suddenly, harder. I'm mm-hmm. doing the call oh, and we're wow. covering you. Mm-hmm. Pay so to that play. Is the stuff. Yes. Wow. That's yes. the stuff behind the scenes. And if Americans knew it, they would be upset to know, oh my God, there are literally options being kept. From, from me. Um, there are a lot of uh, options being kept from us. Uh, in Indiana, 
um, state of Indiana, they literally, when we went to file, they left our paperwork in the mailroom until after the deadline and then denied our candidate and said we didn't make it on time. And we said, no, 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 we have, we have, we have UPS tracking. We have proof. Our thing arrived at 9.02 a.m., and it wasn't due until noon. And they said, well, it wasn't on the desk of the Secretary of State by noon. And mm-hmm. we said, now, can you explain to us how we were supposed to get our paperwork out of your mailroom and to, to the, the Secretary desk of State by yeah. noon? Because wow. of them, we started flying everywhere to deliver paperwork because we could no longer trust oh, mailing wow. it in. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> that's the type of manipulation that is going on to keep Americans um, clueless and to make right. them think they have to vote the lesser of two evils because right. at least the Republican and Democratic Party, they know each other. They don't know what to do with a Jay Simmons or a Joe Jorgensen or these other people who may rise up, they don't know us as well. So they would rather keep us hidden and just play against the enemy that they do know. And so that's where the grassroots work comes in. And the grassroots mm-hmm. work has mm-hmm. to be funded and, you know, just have people out in the spaces getting that information out. Like that's right. all the K-Bobs right. of the world. Yeah, we need more. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. That is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. you know uh, black media is so manipulative. You know, people manipulate black media, and we don't have a lot of it, you know. So everybody looks to mainstream media for their answers. And if they slam in the door in uh, black people's faces, then it's an injustice. You know, you, it's, it's a struggle like yourself. Your platform okay. will be a lot larger if you could reach a more of the masses, you know. Oh gosh, in one appearance, one you know the just reason one, that everything has gotten if, so tight. If, if Gail King, I mean, I'm just going to use it for example. If Gail King would say, "Hey, we need to get Jade Simmons on here in the morning," uh-huh. you know, in yeah. the morning, just to do and you even. You know, we reached out. We, huh? Come on, you know, we reached out to you know we reached out to all those names. Yeah, we did. Yeah, them. I know you did. Yeah, all of them. But you're right. One appearance. Ross Perot, honestly, is who we owe a lot of this to. He went in. Wow. And, really messed up the game when he when he ran as an yeah. independent yeah. he was polling at around two or three percent mm-hmm. and they let him on the debate stage yep. <laughs> the next night he was up to 17 or 18 percent mm-hmm. they said oh, oh we have messed up here that's when they created the memorandum agreement from that point on to keep the third party or independent off of the stage because they don't want to risk that kind of disruption so we know one appearance um, we were on the Breakfast Club earlier um, in the year, and mm-hmm. uh-huh. overnight, you know, that that doubled uh, a lot of the visibility. Just that one 20-minute appearance. So yeah. imagine if we had gotten the same coverage as a Trump or Biden this whole time. We know it would be game over. We oh. know it would be game over. Mm-hmm. And not just because black people, because they only make 13 or 14 percent of the actual voter turnout. 71 percent are white people who turn out to vote, and even lesser uh, than African Americans or Hispanics, but we have seen even more buy-in from uh, from white people of all different backgrounds. So we know that if we're in the mainstream, it is game over because we speak like what Americans want to hear and want to see. And so uh, it, it behooves politicians who are already in power these voices suppress. But as mm-hmm. you keep saying, a lot of work to be done. 
We understand now that, you know, media is not at all looking to play fairly. Black, white, um, Christian, doesn't matter. Um, they are all in bed with the different parties. And so we're excited about building a whole new apparatus uh, to create the paradigm shift that is necessary. Real quick, you said you were on the morning show and your numbers. No, well, break, the breakfast the club. The breakfast show. The breakfast, breakfast club. club. The breakfast mm-hmm. club. Mm-hmm. And you were there for, you know, they do the 20, 30-minute set. And that made a huge impact. But you weren't able to go back or, I mean. Oh, funny you ask that. Right after my appearance there, um, Charlemagne became a member of that kind of council that was then advising Joe Biden. Mm. on how to speak to black okay, men here in management. That's how. Here we go. And yeah. so we were. I had I had Charlemagne promise on the show to bring me back because I wanted to get deeper into the issues. This was right after Kanye West had announced. Mind you, Kanye West did not even file his papers with the FEC. And within 38 minutes of announcing he was running for president was on every major news network and headline. Yeah, he right. was. So we need to... Wake up to the fact that Kanye West was pushed on us. Right. Finance, we now mm-hmm. know as well by by a lot of Trump supporters mm-hmm. who were working to get him on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And he got full coverage. Yeah. Right. Do you think somebody it's, else? Period. Yeah. Do, do you think it's <laughs> right. a popularity yeah. contest? Name recognition. Nickname recognition contest. Well, Kanye West is a good headline. I mean, in, in defense of in defense of how the news works now, it's not about actual story. It's about clickbait. So you put Kanye West running for president, that's going to get you a lot more clicks than Jade Simmons, who no one knows, right? Mm-hmm, so right. I understand profit-wise where the motivation was. But what we have to understand is these are the same networks that only a few weeks earlier were talking about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Who but are saying Black, black Lives Matter is white right. They're white people. So, right. That's the stuff we got to pay attention to. But I was, we, we were supposed to go back on the breakfast club. And wow. then the day before it was canceled. Um, oh, wow. And we, we don't have a reason for that. And we did reschedule. Um, and it hasn't happened yet. And what my supporters tell me is that since the day I've been on the breakfast club, they have not mentioned my name since. So even if, 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 Charlemagne had just every time he said Trump or Biden said, and don't forget Jade, mm-hmm. that would have been huge every day. And, and, and to not put all the blame on the media, you know, all of us on our team have lost a few friends over this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few family members have sort of ghosted and disappeared. Right. And they'll probably pop back up after this is all over. But if everyone who knows these people, let's just everyone who knows me or if you were running, if everyone who knew you and knew your heart, just simply said, hey, Bobby's running. Didn't endorse you, just said, just let you know Bobby's running. Immediately, that would double and triple profile visibility. So we've all got a role to play if we're serious about change. Right. You know, we, then we, yeah, we have that's to true. play a role in that. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're excited. We, 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 we know that we, we did a lot of what we came to do, which was we didn't know a lot of it would be exposing hypocrisy and, and finding out wow. about the corruption behind the scenes, but I think that was a part of the plan as well. And so we're proud to fulfill our first campaign promise, which was we would make sure we were available to the majority of Americans and we would stay standing all the way through to the end. Watch this now. Kamala Harris dropped out of the race for president last November because she ran out of money. Right. 
we probably never had the money that she ran out of. Right. Yet we are still here. Still there. Yeah, still there. We are still here. And right. so still there. we're happy that, yeah, we're still here, and the people who wanted to vote for us are able to do so. so yeah. and right. And you know, the people, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to know about you who yes, never heard Jade. about you, Jade, in their life. Right. You know, just That's by right. going to the polls and seeing your name. Mm stamped on that ballot. And and as I'm sitting here and you're talking about the hypocrisy that you've had to deal with during this time frame, I'm like, ooh, that's a book. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother <laughs> well, what a story to tell. That's a whole nother story to put out there. I mean, even yeah. a small documentary to, I mean gotta yeah. I mean, gotta keep gotta keep there's gotta a lot, keep there's it going. a lot there. Gotta you know, no matter what, um we've been behind the scenes, we believe, especially as people of faith but if you really have belief for something, you must plan and prepare all the way through. Mm-hmm. So we are even doing the work of transition, building an administration, lining up department heads, finding out what policies we would lead with. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fun to do that behind the scenes. Yeah. Instead of measuring the drapes, we're like figuring out what policy do we lead with. Right? So what, would be, so what policy would you that? lead with, Jade? What policy yeah, what would, would you, you lead, lead with? Yeah. yeah, you know, we don't have the luxury, unfortunately, of choosing any kind of pet project. What society demands from us because of how we've bungled COVID-19 mm-hmm. is that I believe we have to combine what I call pandemic proofing the nation and, uh, and creating a new industry that will bring back jobs, which I call ongoing emergency preparation. We have to prioritize that, the economy and pandemic proofing. And I think uh, the third equal issue must be to create a new climate to deal with the civil unrest. Wow. So. Uh, what we like okay. about that is it addresses literally every American's needs, uh, and you can do that. That's where your focus must be, not for the first 100 days, but probably for the first year um, of 2021, and, and that excites us. One of the main things we'll be doing is increasing minimum wage, and we'll do that in a, a gradual way for small businesses, but it'll be pretty instant for large corporations because the disparity right now has to be bridged because of the economic downturn that we're in yeah. so we get excited that's how we plan um we plan for the win and mm-hmm. then that way no matter what we're set up for whatever comes our right way. right i like that yeah i, I do like too that. i like it good. Yeah. sounds good to me because right now with our with oklahoma is a hot bed which is a hot mess as oh. far as covid is concerned oh, my and and it's sort of like people really don't they still think it's for play it's not for real and until it happens mm-hmm. to them, until they're incubated, our friend is incubated, mm-hmm. and then it becomes like, oh, yeah. But they're like our Native American population. They have been slammed, but no one's really That's talking right. about oh, that. Oh, they don't discuss That's them at right. all. And, and it's just like mm-hmm. families, not like one or two, but an entire family right. may experience five people mm-hmm. with COVID That's and right. five people may die. But we don't hear That's that, right. and we're still stuck on a, it's a political thing. Yeah, well, I can tell you from personal experience, because I just got out of quarantine from Mm COVID-19, it's not a political thing. We know that. I I will also tell you that my suspicion is that when the president was back out on rally, he was not COVID clear. It took me almost 18 days to get a negative test result. And that's because I demanded another test. So even after I had my diagnosis, I waited the two weeks. I went back for that second test, which used to be required. I don't know if you remember that. It used right. to be required. You had to have a negative test. Before I you got in go line back. for a free test. Yep. Um, that was supposed to be back in 24 hours. 
<clears throat> and they said, what are your symptoms? I said, actually, I'm, I'm finally symptom-free. I had COVID-19. I'm just checking to make sure I'm no longer, you know, contagious. And she said, oh, you don't need a second test because the CDC no longer requires it. I said, no, no, no. I, I live with my family. I need to know that I'm, you know, right. healthy and not at risk for, for them. My family. And, and she like, said, okay, uh-huh. well, you can do it. But since it's no longer required, your insurance no longer pays for it. Uh, and she said, with a straight face, that'll be $900. What? Mm. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, no. Sir. And oh, so no. I said, I looked at her and she said, well, actually, because of some kind of discount or break, it started oh, talking really God. fast. Today, it'll only be you know what? You know what? There we go. Making money off of people. Yes, oh, God. So Damn. I said, listen, you're close to my house. I need to be able to go back to my home in confidence with my family. Let me go ahead and pay for the test. I said, at least I'll have it in 24 hours, right? She said, well, actually, because it's no longer required, you have to pay for the expedited test results. You know so what? That'll that's, be $200. That's killing now, people. The worst of all of that, that, but listen, again, we have the means. Right? Yeah, but I think about the people who don't. We canceled a tour. When I got my diagnosis, I'll uh-huh. tell you what I could have done. Uh, we got my first diagnosis from a CVS. They had those, you know, free right. kind of drive-through. Right. I got those results back in about two days. When I got my results, I was due to get on a flight. If I wanted to, I could have gotten on that flight. And, and infected the whole plane. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in that situation. So I'm telling you this because I believe <laughs> that I was. Oh, granted the experience of COVID-19, so I would see these holes in the system. We decided instead of uh, flying, of course, because we just thought ethically it was wrong. Right, right. We got in a car and drove 24 hours to get back home. Wow. Um, and I'll tell you, the worst part of COVID-19, I did have symptoms. Mine were more like the flu. I was laid out for a few days, and right. then I was tired for about a week and a half. Mm. And uh, I'll tell you, the worst part of it, was not the physical problem. The worst part was wondering who did I infect right. when I didn't know that I was sick. Um, that was the thing that kept me up at night because I knew I knew I'd encountered people with underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. Having to make those phone calls was just uh, heart wrenching. Um, and then, what the end of this story? The end of this story that's important. Back in March, I said before we open. We need to have testing and tracing capabilities in place. We should be able to test a half a million people a day before we move forward. Yet and still, mm-hmm. our government reopened when we only had the capacity to test 150,000 people a day. Now you see what? 80,000 people a day. Yes, right? Per so day. Imagine per day are coming down with this. Here's my point to this story. No one ever called me. And said, hey, we know you have COVID-19. Have you been out and about? Where have you been? Who are you in No tracers. No one ever traced me. Here's the, here's the kicker. That test that I demanded to have and paid for was done 16, 18 days after my initial diagnosis. Do you know? Oh, it wow. It came back positive for COVID-19. Wow. Had I not demanded that test, I could have still been walking, walking around, around infecting people. Mm-hmm. And that's right. the in that so part right there. Yes. That. Wow. That's it. I finally did get the negative diagnosis. And the truth is the research shows that most likely 
even with that second positive, I was probably not contagious, but probably is not good enough. Not right. Because right. we don't know because this is new. <laughs> that's right. And most 80% of people are asymptomatic. Wow. Um, so I was traveling with someone who also we both had a positive diagnosis. She had no symptoms. I had all the symptoms. Wow. We were in the same proximity. What were your now. symptoms? So I had flu-like symptoms, yeah. uh, body aches. Uh, the, the first night of the presidential debates, I went live to do the debates and to answer all the questions. And nobody knew it, but I had a migraine the size of oh. Texas uh, while I was on the air doing uh, those debates alongside mm-hmm. the other candidates. Um, the headache was awful. The weakness, the tiredness. Did you have a weird sense of smell? Couldn't smell? I, you know what? I, I didn't lose my – I think I might have lost my smell for a day or two. And that's only because I was uh, showering and I knew that the soap I was using was supposed to be really fragrant and I didn't smell anything. Mm. What I did have was my taste. I didn't lose it, but everything tasted extremely uh. salty. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like someone had dumped a whole bucket of salt into everything I was eating. Um, I did lose wow. about 10 pounds in about four or five days. Oh, God. Um, and I'm a very thin person anyway. I did not have uh, 10 pounds have to give away. Yeah. Um, but my recovery, you know, I, I'm relatively extremely healthy otherwise, very active, mm. very fit. What did you do to I recover? I laid myself out and refused to do what I normally would do, which is, you know, day two, you go, I'm fine. I'm going to go back and do everything I was doing. Mm -hmm. I refused to listen to that mind that wanted to get up and run. I rested more than I thought I needed. um, And I slept for longer than I thought I needed to sleep. And I then found out later that they say rest is the major remedy. There were a couple of things I knew. I knew that if I ever had respiratory, I did get a cough. Um, and I honestly wouldn't have gotten tested for COVID because I'd had a cough since the beginning of the year. Uh, so it was only because I came down with the other symptoms and, uh, the friend of mine who we believe we got the infection from let us know that she was COVID positive. So that made us go get tested. But I'll tell you, I bet you there were a lot of people who were in that line like I was and they heard $200 and they left that line and they did not get tested. Was that and a, that is what I believe is going on all over the nation right now. Quick question. Was that like a CVS, a Walmart? I mean, a... a no, uh, that was, you know, you'll see these signds that say like free COVID testing, oh no. 24 hours. Mm-mm. So it's Mm-mm. set up out of one of these. Oh, no, reputable. They had good reviews set up out of a, a clinic here. And they give you the, the results pretty quickly. Um, and then I went for a third test down at Minute Maid Park here in Houston. They had the free testing. Now, they're set up to be able to test thousands a day. <laughs> and I tell you, I was the only car in this line. There were about 20 to 30 volunteers waiting for people to be tested. What that tells me is that nobody's taking this seriously anymore. Nobody's going to get tested because I rode through that non-line. Right. Um, and I got my results back in 24 hours, and that's when I knew that I was negative. Um, and I had felt, I honestly felt better after about 14, 15 days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been just studying COVID for so long now that I knew better than just to go off of how I felt. But sure enough, in that line, when they were trying to convince me I didn't need a second test, she said, as long as you're feeling better, as long as you're not taking medicine, you can consider yourself recovered. Ah, that recovered. is what is being sent to people as medical information. That is why you have some people not knowing whether or not to take this seriously 
And that's because red and blue have politicized this issue. Yeah. So you don't know who to trust. You don't know who to trust. So do you think the red, uh, the Republicans are really denying it more than the Democrats or is it vice versa? Or what do you think? Because I know Trump is saying, hey, take off the mask. Let's get back to the economy. And, you know, let's just open up our... Well, you can't have... You can't have one without the other. If your people are not healthy, you will always be in a partial shutdown. That's true. You, That's will, true. you will always have parents who are sending their kids to school because schools are open. I have a friend whose kids have been back to school for two weeks. Now they're home on quarantine for two weeks because somebody had the illness. She said that was worse than just having them home waiting on a real opening. This back and forth is worse. And I said that back in March, that if we reopen prematurely, and what we set ourselves up for is an inconsistent reopening and a much longer economic recovery. I do believe the president needed to not take any responsibility because his reelection was at stake. If people remember, when he first talked about China, he spoke favorably about them. He applauded them on how they were handling the virus. I've always said, be suspicious of the way that China is handling this. They have never been uh, forthcoming with numbers in the history of their nation. They do not tell you what numbers really are. Um, a whistleblower over there, a doctor, came out early from Wuhan and said, they're right. underplaying this virus, spoke out against his own nation. That man was dead by January by coronavirus. Mm. I do not believe he died from coronavirus. Um, so uh, when you say who, who was denying it, both parties. I've been following corona since December. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't think it just we came to this country just here in that's March. Right. Yeah. That's it. But it wasn't it wasn't to anyone's advantage to cover it. Um Democrats were trying to oust the president, so all the coverage was on the um presidential primaries and on the impeachment. Republicans were trying to stay in office. So they just needed to pretend this virus wasn't coming and then when it got here it wasn't our fault. And we could have covered this much better because I watched it breakout in China, Iran, and Italy. Mm-hmm. I watched them fumble. Had we just paid attention to what they did and didn't do what they did, we would not see 220 plus thousand people dead from coronavirus. That is terrible. You know, I just think that the administration mm-hmm. didn't handle it like they could have handled it. You know, I, yeah. you know, denial yeah. and, uh, you know. Now, how do you feel about them obtaining a, a vaccine, you know? It's happening too fast. I, I Listen, I want to cure like everybody else, but I will not be first in line if they rush this vaccine to market before the year is out. Yeah. The average vaccine I think the first people, 20, yeah. Yeah. I think the first people are going to be like guinea pigs, you know, and they're yeah. going to just kind of like. It's, 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 it's so unhealthy. You've already got a very strong anti-vax community that, that is worried about the safety of vaccines anyway. If you want to quell that uh, argument, you better not give them new fuel to put on the fire with a vaccine that is not even testing well. We have proof that the current vaccine, one of the um, ones they're trying out, is not even proven yet to sustain immunity. Right, exactly. You might get it. It might work for a little while, but you might come down with corona. Again, the problem with trying to find a vaccine now is we still don't understand the virus fully. It's called novel because it's new. We don't know everything about the virus we need to know. So you can't create a vaccine on something you don't really fully understand yet. That's true. And so my concern is that we lose Americans to um, the first few rounds of this because the adverse effects could be serious. And uh, we have advisors on our team 
um, we, we have people from both sides of the aisle in everything we do because it's important to hear what both of the arguments uh, is. And one of our healthcare advisors said her concern is that in an average vaccine test phase, uh, one in 10,000 would be considered a bad number for adverse effects. And mm -hmm. we're having one in a few hundred for right. adverse events. So that means that so, it's not working. <laughs> True. And it's not it's not working consistently, effectively. You need to be able to test it on different population types. What's it going to do with people who have diabetes? What's it going to do with people on dialysis? There's so much testing to be done. And we're trying to look safer than we are. And I really do believe that the president's motivation for getting the vaccine out is to make it look like he saved the day. And I don't think you can call it saving the day if people die from the cure. I don't think he actually uh, agrees with science, you know. No, he does. I think that his, when it comes to science, he just ignores that. Dr. Fauci and, you know, all of those scientists and uh, CDC and everything, I just don't think he's in touch and in line with that. He just wants to do what he wants I to do. I don't let him fool you. I don't let him fool you. If, if he really didn't believe the science, his son would be back in school right now. Well, you see, he... He, he plays a certain way, I feel. Well, he plays a certain way, but it, it comes across that way, you know. Well, he yes, sure failed to go walking up benefit. those stairs. You well, remember, yeah. he was a Democrat. Yeah, he, he was, was at one time. He was a Democrat Before at one time. Before he ran for president. And, and you know, when we talk about the detriment that people feel the president has done to the minority community, I think his own base would stand and step back and see the damage that has been done to them. People who are impoverished white people are not better off under this president. The yeah. people in West Virginia who voted for him are dying of black lung disease mm -hmm. um, and still don't have any jobs. And no you health insurance. Saying? So <laughs> we're not really looking at what the realities are. Um, the president is a, is a hypochondriac. You know, when, when he, the one thing he thought was good about coronavirus is that he finally didn't have to shake hands with these miserable people anymore. Those are his yeah. right. He's talking about yeah. his base. His base. Right. His base. Right. So I don't think, you know, I think if he were a Democratic president, suddenly he'd believe in climate change. He'd believe in whatever he needs to believe in to get the vote. And we as voters have to do our due diligence and decide what we believe so that we're not so easily um, taken in by these politicians who are trying to manipulate our fear and the things that we don't uh, know about. So how he won with fear, oh. you know, just dividing, dividing and fear. conquering and, and mm -hmm. putting negative information yeah. out to begin with. He's so negative, he wasn't necessarily, period. He wasn't necessarily about the people and the Never. process. It was all about him yeah. and winning. He yeah. wanted to win I, I, by I any means necessary. I think if we sit necessary. back, we can see that. If we sit back, we can see it. But, you know, it's like you, you both said earlier. We're, we're you, so know, you know what he, what he reminds me of is – a kid on the basketball court who brought his ball to play basketball, and all of a sudden he don't get his play. way, so he takes his ball away from everybody in the game, you know, because you didn't. Yeah, do it. I've, I've seen those memes, you know. Yeah, that's what he reminds me of a big kid, a big sport. If you look at his mannerisms and the way he acts and the way he talks, it's just so immature. He's just so immature. You know, and he's yeah. like, it's like a big kid to me. Well, regardless of all of that being said, at this point in the game and where we are and the people that voted for him, it's a bunch of them. Oh, for sure. They have voted for you, Jade. Just put it like mm -hmm. that. They, you've, yeah, gained, you've yeah, earned their in vote. In all fairness, 
don't you think, I think at the end of the day, if we're honest, we survive all of our presidents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, 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 we really have to be, as humans, we have to be survived because we come in with our own um, foibles, our own um, weaknesses. And the, one of the big weaknesses that I think is unfortunately a danger to society right now is pride and arrogance. We didn't even get to foreign policy today, and I've got to go spend some time with my kiddos before my husband goes to work. But when you look at the danger now of pride and arrogance, pride and arrogance will keep us from finding solutions we need in COVID-19 if we're afraid to say we're wrong about something we decided a couple months ago. Pride and arrogance will really shoot us in the foot if if we don't um, reposition in our foreign stances, if, if we continue the way that we're going there, if we always take aggressive military action instead of using our ambassadorial and State Department uh, capabilities. And pride and arrogance is what will cause us to say things that inflame one side so that we can appease our base. Whoever is the next leader of this nation, their base has to be the American people, period. Can't be red or blue states, which don't exist, by the way. Right. It has to be the American people. And so I just, I'm excited. You know, I could pick out faults with the president, with, with Joe Biden all day long. But I think at the end of the day, what I want people to focus on is what's the vision they want for this nation and what's the voice they want to speak over that vision. And if you want instigation and you want continued chaos and division, I honestly feel you're going to get the same no matter who you vote for out of the major parties because each party will immediately get into the default position of opposition. Hmm. We need a palate cleansing period now where you have a president who you know strings aren't being uh, pulled by either side. Corporations don't own her. Donations don't determine her stances. And I think just that in and of itself will help the country to breathe easy. But whoever wins, the two, three candidates who don't win must still be presidential that to me will be the will oh that would be awesome the true, right the true mm-hmm. that's right right that's but right so a lot of a lot of times uh whoever the head is has been dictated of what to do you know many times and, 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 and those parties they're just they're just a, they're just basically sometimes the figurehead you know. That's right. That's that can be the case. Um, mm-hmm. The way that what I've been so proud of is with my vice presidential pick. We have really been operating as partners in purpose. Yeah. I don't think we can afford anybody being a figurehead or a lame duck or a symbol. We need all hands on deck, mm-hmm. and so we believe that the next president must now also ignite a sense of purpose and leadership in mm-hmm. individual Americans because yeah. it's going to take all hands on deck. I believe. Exactly. To come out of this in one piece, actually looking like uh, the United States. So mm-hmm. I'm excited for the opportunity, um, and we're at peace here because we know that we've we've stayed the course, and our message hasn't shifted. We haven't pandered to anyone. We've we've stood in our convictions, and we've still managed to find a way to serve as many mm-hmm. Americans through our policy. So we we look forward to the day uh, if it's not Tuesday. Uh, which we still hold out hope for an incredible mm-hmm. 2020 mm-hmm. disruption. I mean, that'd be that'd be par for the course for the end of this year, right? That right. Independent, come out of nowhere, David and Goliath story. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, no matter what, we we have faith for 
what is what is starting to happen in terms of the paradigm shift in this nation. And I'm just so honored and humbled uh, to play any role in that shift moving forward. Yes. Right. Great, great, great. Now, tell us a little bit about your running mate, uh, your vice president running mate, you know. Yes, Claudelia Rose, also on our website, OperationRestoration2020.com. There's a whole page on her and her incredible bio. She comes from a stellar military family. Both uh, mom and dad were in the Army. And uh, she has a twin sister who's also in the military as well. But she has made her career um, in the aerospace and defense industry. So this Mm. is the person who is really focused right now on our foreign policy, on how we're going to serve our military and our military service members and our veterans uh, better than we have ever before. And she's just a brilliant mind. My specialty is vision and creative solutions. Her special specialty is execution and strategy. Mm-hmm. And the company that she works for, she's called on by the senior leadership um, to do just that. Uh, and she's been instrumental in providing opportunities for young up-and-coming engineers of color and female engineers of color as Mm -hmm. well. So Mm -hmm. she's one of these people who practices what she preaches. Um, And if you hear her uh, just speak on these issues, she's absolutely brilliant. And we share definitely a mindset and a vision. But I've asked her to also be the person um, that holds me accountable Mm -hmm. to the people who I promised to serve. And what we haven't seen in leadership is open accountability. You don't see President Trump saying, let me know if I'm not saying the same thing I said last week. Let me know if I'm not doing what I (laughs) promised I would do. So in her uh, day job before she started running, one of the things she's asked to do is to make sure that all the stakeholders are being served. Not just the corporations they're working with or the government entities, but are the, the people on the ground being served. And that's the kind of administration we want to have. And so I've just been proud to have Claudelia um, as a running mate and mm-hmm. as a partner in purpose. How did you guys meet? Believe it or not, I was brought in by her company. It's not her company, the company she works for, uh, to be one of their keynote speakers for an important okay. uh, leadership event they were having. And in these spaces, I'm always brought in and I'm one of the only people who look like me in the room. So when I noticed another shade of chocolate out in the audience, yeah. I always try to meet them and see who they are. Um, and so I met her and a few of the other uh, African-American people who worked for that company afterwards, and we struck up a relationship since then. The funny thing is she's the person I called on to help me find a vice presidential running mate. Oh, really? And after we had interviewed. And yeah, she decided to run too, huh? Okay, you guys hooked well, up. After she had helped me interview them, I came back and said, they're not it. They're not it. Will you consider? And it was a shock to her because, you know, she was just trying to help me find the right person. And, you know, sometimes the right person is right under your nose. That's true. Uh, So we've been excited about, you know, unapologetically doubling down on the fact that we are women. We are African-American. We are women of faith. And we believe that that's an exciting thing in a season that requires birthing. This is a movement and an era that has to be birthed uh, into maturity, into reality. And so 
we lean into that proudly, and, and we know the history of African-American women in this country. We always, so just like you said earlier, we always think about everybody. Yeah, so the last right. thing they have to worry about uh, with us in charge is discrimination, because we always find a way to pull as many people as possible to the table. Great, great. Well, Jade, hey, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the Bobby Eaton Show here in Tulsa, Oklahoma with me and Sherry Lasky, and hey, you're doing some great work, you know, so just continue on doing that, and we're here for you, so don't forget about us now. I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. Sherry, Bobby, thank you, and for giving me so much time to really just speak about the issues and, and oh, yeah. not yeah. to rush them. Yeah. I appreciate all the space you've given me, and our prayer is that all of these uh, people like you who have made this kind of uh, space are blessed as well in your endeavors. So, yeah. uh, again, the same goes for us. Let us know if there's anything we can do to further the initiative that yeah. you're involved in as well. Thank you for the space. Okay. Well, great. Hey, prepare to come here maybe next year for the centennial that we're getting to have yeah. down here for Black Wall Street. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Yeah, make Sounds some preparations good. for yes, that, yes. you know. Get her on the All radio. Right. Yeah, right. Get you on the radio, Probably get you talking and stuff like that. Uh, It'll be a great thing, okay? Sounds good. Thank you so much. I'll have a great day. All right, take care. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Simmons for president. And uh, she's just a wonderful lady with a lot of vision and a lot of things going on in her life. And uh, it's great to see people of color run for for positions that uh, we're engulfed in. Right? Right. I'm glad she she has a lot of she, she got a lot of information right there. So it's so great. It's great. All right. You've been on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Keep in mind that we're here every Monday and Wednesday, 6 p.m. And like today from 12 to 2 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, you can reach us at uh, kbob899.com, which is our live stream. And for local Tulsans, KBOB 89.9. I'm, I'm tripping, Sherry. You know how they go. But we want you to do do that. So we want you to, hey, spread the word. Tell everybody. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on over here outside of just a radio station. We do just a whole lot of stuff. You know. All right. Until the next time, we want you to have a, we want you to have a good one. Okay. Take care of yourself. Okay. Yeah. Hey, this is Ralph Johnson of Earthwood Empire, and whenever I'm in Tulsa, I'm tuned in to KPOD 89.9 on the FM.